0: Hey guys, welcome to the debrief after our episode with Sandeep and Mahalo from Polygon. David, um, I felt like this was a relevant episode, right? Because you know, y- you and I were very much involved in observing everything that was going on this weekend with uh, th- Three Hours Capital kind of uh, saying, you know, sending the tweet that was heard around the, the crypto world. With, yes, I have abandoned Ethereum, despite supporting it in the past. What a statement! Because Ethereum has abandoned its users, was the statement. And uh, it was really good to hear, you know, some builders in the space actually, uh, reflect on, on that statement, but I know you've had your own thoughts about that mm-hmm. statement too. It's like, why don't, why don't we dig into that a little bit? That was actually your, uh, your market Monday piece earlier this week. So, um, how did that statement hit you and mm-hmm. what do you think was the fallout from that?
1: I thought that that statement was, uh, there, there's definitely like this, um, narrative war that's going on everywhere in the world like the the left versus the right these are narrative wars there's china versus the u.s it's these are not even these are not no longer physical wars of military and might but these are narrative wars and information wars and we'd never we see that the most true inside of crypto because so much of this industry is based on narrative like this the short to medium term price actions of a lot of tokens in this world are narrative based much more than they are fundamentals based. Like crypto has really had a problem with actually pricing itself based off of fundamentals, at least in the the short to medium term.
0: And do you think, David, those narratives can become fundamentals? Is that partially why they're important?
1: That's definitely true. It can definitely create a self-fulfilling prophecy, but like some narratives are actually more resonant with their, with the actual fundamentals that they represent rather than like completely uh, different narratives. For example, XRP will be the coin that all the banks use. There was a time where that actually might could, there could have been a future. Very, I mean, in my mind very unlikely, but you could actually see that, like perhaps maybe with there there could be like this potential back before we saw the evidence that it wasn't going to be like that. And so the narrative is actually really important in banks actually testing with XRP. But then again, the fundamentals ultimately are what determined it in the long run, right? It's like DeFi was a narrative at right. first, right? <laughs> but it's
0: like we believe in this whole decentralized finance system, but like the fundamentals have to really back and reinforce the yes. narrative for it to yes. play out over the the medium to longer term time horizons.
1: Yes, there's an absolutely a feedback loop between narratives and fundamentals and to the degree that the narrative is actually reflected by the, rec- the, the fundamentals'll turn that feedback loop into a positive feedback loop much more than, much more than if they were disconnected. So going back to what Sue was saying where uh, Ethereum has abandoned its users and gas fees Ethereum is no longer like a, a, a chain that the average person can, can use. This is Sue fighting a narrative war to justify his actions in my mind. Three hours capital. They're a big trading firm. Uh, they like to they like to take positions and then they get really really loud about those positions because they know that they have a bunch of influence in this space like Suzu, Kyle Davies both have hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers and they have a bunch of traders who just follow their trades and so they know that when they when they you know make a position and they get really loud about it people tend to follow them and so what happened was that well, the Ethereum crowd started to get really frustrated by this behavior, this short-term mindset behavior, where where the Ethereum community is really a long-term focused community. We're trying to we're trying to build out a financial system that lasts for generations, not just answer for like the short-term bandwidth constraints that Ethereum has in the year 2021, uh, and. Really, Ryan Selkis, his tweet made this really... Uh, it's really the most accurate tweet that I've seen about this. It's like, crypto Twitter is, is people that are debating with five-month uh, horizons are debating with uh, people that have five-year time horizons. But Sue, Sue is is justifying his actions based off of a five-month time horizon. Like, Ethereum has high fees, Avalanche doesn't, therefore I bought Avalanche. Kind of hard to argue with that. But the Ethereum community, and Ethereum people, under in my mind, understand that there are things that we know through the process of research, development and experiment, experimentation and practice, that some of these L1 chains are long-term unsustainable. Something has to change about them in the future, which really invalidates this whole like, um, well, I'm basing my financial investments off of the current state of a chain, because you know that the current state of the chain changes if your thesis actually becomes correct about its current state, right? So. Avalanche has low fees, but if it becomes adopted in the way that Suzu and Three Rs Capital have allocated their positions accordingly, if their if their capital allocation is that Avalanche will become adopted, well then Avalanche has won't have any fees any or ha, won't have low fees anymore because it becomes a condo- adopted and then it becomes congested and then it has high fees. And so people know these things, and so Suzu is trying to do this whole like narrative war thing trying to, to like FUD the Ethereum community, saying the Ethereum community is uh, like subject to these, uh, they, they all got successful, they all got rich, then they got lazy, and now they don't care about the common man anymore. That's the narrative that Suzu is trying to drum up, and it completely triggered all of Ethereum because of literally the mountain of research and development that's going into uh, high throughput, scalable layer twos, which are, some are in their infancy and many aren't even here yet. But the the narrative that Suzu is trying to spin up is just completely misaligned with the actual facts behind the case. Uh, yet uh, he has still like been able to drum up actual support from all the the non Ethereum crowd, the Solanas, the Avalanche, uh, because they see Ethereum as like these entrenched players that don't really answer to the the local whims of the short term time frames that the people want.
0: You um, there's so much to unpack there. It's mm-hmm. it's just such. I actually think it was super interesting. Right. It's like, so on one side of things, I feel like, um, Sue got exactly what he wanted, Mm -hmm. which was the full attention of the crypto community for an entire weekend on avalanche, like that narrative. Right. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, um, even if he was kind of like, you know, trolling, didn't believe a word of it, just kind of like, um, man, he got really rewarded. Like this behavior kind of works Mm -hmm. in crypto, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I'm I'm curious your thoughts. Do you think that there is any truth in what he's saying? Right. So like there are people who are ready to jump on board the I hate Ethereum gas fees bandwagon. And you're asking me to pay $40 to like trade an NFT Mm -hmm. or like it's too expensive for me. And you can't just tell me to go use a layer two because layer twos aren't quite ready with some of the applications I'm using. I don't have the smooth fiat on-ramp. And you can't like shun me for using an alternative layer one, right? It's like, so there is some of that pushback. There's also another element of, I think alternative layer ones that are very excited for Ethereum to be kind of dethroned in this ray. And a trail of retail users who have benefited by purchasing Avalanche and Cardano and Solana, like in the earlier days, who are very excited about their, their upside bags. And then there, there are kind of the traders like Suzu and you know the, the multi coins of the world and, and kind of that cohort. Um, but in all of that, do you think there's any truth to what
1: Sue was saying? No, I, so what Sue said is that Ethereum has abandoned its users and there's no truth to that. What has, what has actually happened is that Ethereum has grown in users the most, and that is why it is the most expensive. There's the most demand from the most amount of people to use Ethereum, which has, and so when these constrained blockchains, and constrained blockchains is where you get decentralization from, when constrained blockchains have a bunch of people clamoring for users, it's the rich and well-capitalized and well-incentivized people that are able to skip to the front of the line. This is how gas works. And so that pushes out all those people that aren't like that. But what Sue's saying is that the Ethereum has abandoned those people that can't fit into the L1 where instead Ethereum Research and Development has been working on how do we fit all the people that have been disenfranchised still on the blockchain. And that has always been the goal of Ethereum. Vitalik has this famous tweet saying, the internet of money shouldn't cost more than 5 cents a transaction to use. And people are like laughing at Ethereum because it takes $500 to make a Uniswap transaction when we want it to take 5 cents. And so Ethereum has gone on this immense journey to figure out how do we make Uniswap trades 5 cents. And that journey is, we are seeing that destination on the horizon. With, without sacrificing Without decentralization. sacrificing decentralization, yes. Now, we can see that, that outcome on the on the horizon, but it's easier to just fork off and make a new chain that's very relatively empty in comparison to Ethereum that has relatively little demand and therefore has very little fees. Uh, and so, like, where, you know, Ethereum has... Uh, short-term not prioritize scalability on the layer one in order to research it, to put it on the layer two other layer ones have abandoned decentralization in the name of cheap fees. Well, they create- say it doesn't matter. They
0: say, they, they, they say the way you define decentralization, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't matter, David. And we'll get back to that, you know, in just a minute. Cause I want to like, cause mm-hmm. y- you responded to Sue that got a lot of um, tweets and you called mm-hmm. sort of abandonment of decentralization a sin. Mm-hmm. I want to get into that in a minute, right. but like, I guess um, uh, one, of, one of my takeaways, I feel like, is, is growing stronger in my mind that, do you know how in 2017, ICOs, util- you know, futility mm-hmm. tokens were kind of the bubble of 2017, right? I feel very much like geth fork sidechains posing as layer ones are the bubble of this bull cycle, right? Like it could be the thing that overinflates. And like kind of takes us all down, right? Because mm. like, I personally don't understand the the valuations of, I mean, we we're just talking to Maddox. So like, why is Avalanche worth like, I don't know, eight times, nine times, 10 times more than a Maddox, right? Mm. Why is matic even worth what it's worth? Is another interesting question. But like, I don't understand the the fundamental valuations of some of these chains. And if it's just as easy as, forking off, creating a side chain and spinning up a narrative mm-hmm. and talking about some additional tech that you have, like the market can't sustain that over and over again. It's right. the classic euthanasia roller coaster. So it's, it's kind of a worry right.
1: in my mind that I see, but let's talk about maybe the, well, on, on the, on that note, yeah. I think one of the reasons why the, like, it would be an interesting like experiment to see what would happen. We're never going to see this experiment, but as a thought experiment, like what happens if Matic was like, eh, if, you know let's abandon ethereum and go make our own l1 do you think the polygon matic token would start to like to start to out. match like the avalanche uh, market cap that would be stage 1
0: right so they 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 say that or do that right. and then they would get some like big money to back that decision they would be like here's some tokens at a discount mm-hmm. right and like sbf sandbank freed, multi coin mm-hmm. um three hours capital, you guys get on board this trade and then start pumping it, start making this the actual reality, right? Mm -hmm. So that would be be step two. And then I think retail and all of the kind of the aping traders and everyone else, they would see the momentum of what's happening with that narrative shift and some big players kind of backing that narrative shift and they'd get behind it. And they would absolutely be more successful in the short run Mm -hmm. at pumping the price of Matic. Right, So I think that's exactly how it would play out because that's how it's playing out in these alternative layer ones right now.
1: And like the, the interesting thing about Solana's uh, choices that it's been making is that, uh, and this is also true for, for Avalanche as well. Both of them are starting to dabble in their own layer two world, right? They are both like trying to figure Narrative out play how- play two, isn't it? How exactly, right? And so like, to me, it's just like this, uh, Kyle Samani's strategy, who's like really putting the whole entire Solana ecosystem on his back is to literally copy the Ethereum roadmap and then apply it to Solana because he's the one that owns all the Solana tokens, right? Like, let's take this very obviously successful, like, roadmap that's long-term sustainable. Let's fork the roadmap, apply it to Solana because I own all the Solana tokens. Okay, but this goes back to, like, what
0: they've also done in this narrative creation, I feel like, is they've put um, some some white blood cells in the in the narrative market to go attack. So if you go mm. and you say that, David, mm-hmm. that's just you being a maximalist. Yep. And you have more ether bags. Yep. And 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 uh, multicoin and Kyle Samani right. have more Solana bags, right? Mm-hmm. And who's better? Right. Who's to say? All you're doing is protecting your own bags, aren't you? And you're doing the exact same thing that mm-hmm. Kyle Samani is doing. So that's why the white blood cells. When you say a word like sin or sacrificing Mm -hmm. decentralization or anything like this they'll come and they'll attack you from a narrative perspective for being like an eth maximalist Mm -hmm. for example so like what's the difference oh yeah distinction between maximalism and actually what is the difference yeah
1: yeah so there's let's just go through the list the genesis event of all blockchains are is really really important uh, and even Bitcoiners will critique Ethereum on, like, having a less pure Genesis event than Bitcoin did because they think, like, the way that the Bitcoin blockchain was the most pure way to bootstrap these things. We know that the crypto communities like paying attention to the fairness and the equality of the Genesis event for all of these chains. So Ethereum had uh, a, an ICO, a permissionless ICO where almost 9,000 people were able to send Bitcoins. One Bitcoin would receive you 2,000 Ether. Almost 9,000 people participated in this. There was no early pre-sale for feces. There was no like lockup periods for any one party. Everyone had equal access to the sale amount. And 60, uh, I believe 60 out of 72 million Ether were given away in this sale event. So the majority of it, right? Uh, of that remaining 70, uh, 12 Ether that was left, half of that got split between the EF and half of that got split between the, the Ethereum co-founders, Vitalik, like um, Charles Hoskinson, uh, Joseph Lubin. Jo- uh, maybe not Joseph Lubin. I don't know if he's a co-founder or not. Um, yeah. Yeah, he is. All right, so we have 72 million ETH. 12, 12, 12 of that 72 million got split between the EF, the Ethereum co-founders. 60 million got immediately distributed to 9,000 9, people on day one. That's, that's the distribution of the token supply. That's really, really important because as we know from our Joel Monegro podcast, the tokens are governance, governance is power, power is control. These are the things that, and we were, what we're really doing with blockchains is distributing power and control to as many people as possible. That's what decentralization is. But that's just decentralization and the ownership of the token. That's only one half of the story. The other half of the story is that you also need to have a decentralized blockchain. And so you need to have a layer one that is shown to have commitments towards decentralization from day one. And the Ethereum blockchain has always been committed to decentralization. It was a constrained blockchain on day one. It still had zero cent fees because it was totally unfilled. While the blocks were small, the demand was even smaller. And it had zero dollar, like zero cent fees up until like 2017 when it actually started to get congested. And we actually did see like dollar, like the Ethereum block space start to take like dollars to tens of dollars to start to transact. 2017 came and went and then the fees went away, but it came back right back during DeFi summer. As soon as there's any amount of demand for the Ethereum block space, the fees goes up. So, and Ethereum has done that because like as an ecosystem, Ethereum has prioritized decentralization both in the token distribution and the constraint and of the security of the L1 blockchain. This is in stark contrast to all of the Ethereum killers that we know today, Avalanche and Solana uh, and, and Binance Smart Chain. Those things were not started by a public-free, censorship-resistant open sale. Those were VC-backed, who got in at a discount, got a very large supply of the tokens, uh, and then the token went to market, and then retail was able to invest in these things after the, the privileged insiders. And so we already have two classes of citizens who got in at a cheap, very cheap discount and bought a bunch of tokens that were already well-capitalized to begin with. And then there's the retail that comes in later to buy these things after they establish a price on the secondary market. So there's already two two, uh, classes of citizens with a token distribution. And there's also two classes of citizens with the nodes that run the blockchain. Because both uh, uh, like Binance Smart Chain, Solana, and uh, and Avalanche, Solana is not a fork of Death, but Binance Smart Chain and Avalanche are. But they all follow the same pattern of Uh, making the nodes, uh, unconstraining the layer one block space, uh, reducing the amount of nodes that can run the system and only making it so people with very expensive, beefier computers that must dedicate that entire computer to running the blockchain, those are the only people that can actually run the blockchain. And so and when it comes to validating your own transactions, those ecosystems are also separated from two classes of citizens. So you have Ethereum with a presale and the design of the blockchain, blockchain that makes sure that there are no two, no, there are no, separation in the people that use these systems. And then you have all these other like Ethereum killers, which make two classes of citizens with how the token was distributed. Did it go to Kyle Samani of Militakian Capital, Three Capital and Suzu at a lockup? Fun fact, the 30s capital are locked up in their AVAX bags, bags for apparent quote years, according to Kyle Davies. But like, that's all like the reason why there's lockup is because there's two classes of citizens. And also, the, the nodes, the network topology is also separated into two classes of citizens. So, this is the difference between all of these communities that say, like, oh, David, you're just a biased ETH maxi and you don't want like Suzu to pump his bags. You just want him to pump your bags. Well, my bags represent the values of decentralization so yes if you care about decentralization then I'm here to pump your bags and if you don't care about decentralization then I will fud you like that's kind of the line that I fall, fall on
0: but they'll 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 so they'll respond and they'll try to n- redefine decentralization on you so in those in those two examples they'll say it's like so if I'm three hours capital I'm a VC right it's like what's the difference between me as a VC getting in tokens early And some lucky person in the 9,000 crowd sale getting tokens, like they're now wealthy enough to be maybe VCs. Maybe some of them have become VCs. Mm -hmm. And so, like, what's the difference? You're early Ethereum, you're kind of like a VC. You're already wealthy, you're already doing quite well for yourself. And so, they like draw an equivalence there. And then on decentralization, they'll also draw an equivalence. They'll be basically like, how many people actually run their nodes? Do they run it from their homes? Or do they run it in AWS? And the option to run a node is not important. And so they'll try to bend that narrative too. And they'll say like, your definition of decentralization is like only Ethereum, David, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and then they'll pull in, and we've seen this in the past. Remember Bitcoiners who they define decentralization as like must have 21 million fixed supply That's decentralization, must never choose the monetary policy, must be able to to run a node from a like a Raspberry Pi, must scale on uh, layer two only, must not have like they just define decentralization as Bitcoin. And so are you just defining decentralization as Ethereum because Mm -hmm. you're an early Ethereum retail VC? And that's where your bags are. So that's how they'll draw the, mm-hmm. the, the equivalence here. And that's what makes it muddy and difficult. And then they'll point to the market and they'll say, the market's proving you wrong. Okay? Mm-hmm. Because uh, last time, by the way, Three Capital came on Bankless was six months ago and they were pumping ETH. Uh, they mm-hmm. were super bullish, ultra bullish ETH. And that's changed six months from now. So it's like, also there's a time horizon thing here. But anyway, they'll, they'll just say the market has proven that the ethereum thesis is wrong and that this is a multi-chain world and all these alternative layer ones are here to stay some of them might even surpass ethereum because it no longer you know um cares about its users so what do you say to all of that, right? It's another it's another layer of narratives.
1: I, I think it's really, really interesting that we're seeing like these same fractals play out where like the same exact FUD that Bitcoiners critiqued Ethereum for is the same exact FUD that Ethereum is critiquing like all the ETH killers for. And yeah. then that'll probably go down the line one more time. Like this this industry operates in fractals uh, and we're seeing the same pattern play out. Like the the incumbent chain thinks that every, like the, the big chain, Thinks that like all smaller chains than it are centralized VC compromises that are just like trying to pump the bags. Yes. Then the smaller chains thinks that the the bigger chains are these incumbent entrenched elites that already got rich that don't care about the little guy, don't yes. care about innovation. Yep. We, we've this is the same pattern that Ethereum fight with fought with Bitcoin and now it's just happening once again. Hey by
0: the way th- so these are just the narrative strings that mm-hmm. uh 3 rs capital is plucking okay mm-hmm. because by, by the way they've been they've been here with for bitcoin they right. were here for ethereum now they're here mm-hmm. for for this so like right. all along they've been doing well right. they've been kind of the whales at every single level right? right they they've been doing well all along but they are plucking these narrative strings yes
1: you know so at, they're pl- at this they're point playing time. they're playing the the narrative fiddle yeah totally and this goes back to, like, the actual details as what's being discussed. And Bitcoiners, I love them. I, what I, how I describe Bitcoiners is they are right in their theses, and they are wrong in their execution. They believe all the same things that, that Ethereans believe, but they are trying to apply it to the wrong execution, which is Bitcoin. Like everything will be built on Bitcoin. The Bitcoin layer two will solve this. I'm sorry. You literally can't build anything on Bitcoin because the opcodes, you can't build everything on lightning because of what it is. Ethereum takes the Bitcoin ethos and actually applies it in a way that is actually long-term sustainable where things actually, all things can become built on, on Ethereum. That's what layer twos are. And again, it just goes right back to what I was saying with how did the actual token get distributed? How does the actual blockchain construction constructed? Because while we can make the same arguments down the chain, it's like every chain bigger than me is, is an incumbent entrenched player that doesn't care about innovation. And every chain that's smaller than me is a, a VC-backed um, uh, centralized you know, shit chain. At some point during that chain, as we'll, pass, we'll keep on passing those excuses down the chain. And at some point, someone's right someone has actually found the right spot on, like, the compromises of decentralization versus centralization, the compromises of token distribution versus issuance, the compromises on expressivity versus, uh, like, uh, hardness versus, like, Bitcoin and Ethereum. Someone's actually picking the right spot here. And to me, me, the, me, the, the line is drawn versus VCs getting discounts on tokens which the teams are knowingly giving those VCs discounts because they need their support because otherwise they will actually won't get adopted. And so it's a really a question of will, would have Avalanche and Solana and Binance Smart Chain have gotten adopted in of their own right? Or did they get adopted because Kyle Samani put Solana on on his back? CZ put Binance Smart Chain on his back. Avalanche picked Kevin, what's his face? And like, and who, whatever, like Solana. Well, now three hours capital,
0: right? Now three hours capital, right? Like, yeah, Solana also did uh, SBF and um,
1: FTX. Did these L1 chains come about because the community adopted them or they found the right top down centralized player to help bootstrap their network via the narrative games that people like Suzu play?
0: Well, so on your point that like at some point in time, someone's right and someone's wrong.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: the the thing of it is you only figure out some who, who's right and who's wrong in a bear cycle mm-hmm. and a bull cycle and a, right. a corresponding bull cycle after that. Right. It's like, th- that's why p- part of me, David kind of craves the, a, a bear market again. Right. It's right. like, I hate to say that, but it's like, but, um, that's when you actually see whether the narratives hold mm. up or not. And I, I think You know, Bitcoin. Bitcoin has been right about a lot of things, and that's why it's persisted from narrative to narrative to like to to cycle to cycle to cycle. I think Ethereum's been right about uh, a number of things, right, and so that's why it's persisted, and we know it'll persist in the the next cycle. But like, which of these alt layer ones have a future? Will persist? Uh, I mean. Hard to know like you're uh, hard to see and w- w- we won't find out in the bull run is what i'm saying it's like all of these arguments that you and i are t- are, t- are speaking to is like no one really cares about decentralization when their freaking right. token is going up 400 percent a month right no one cares dude mm-hmm. you're here to make money like that's why bull ru- bull runs can be super frustrating to me because it's not the time the market is actually determining truth it's just just pressing right into these narratives right and then like during the during the downward cycle, that's when we actually test these narratives and see if they're true. And, you know, if they if they rise back, then then they're true.
1: Otherwise yeah. they die. What's interesting is Suzu also made the statement, hey, like, you know, I think the Ethereum people really need a bear market so they can come back to reality and start actually like working again. Give it to us. Yeah. I'll take and it. Like, yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> let's see who wins on the other side of the bear market. The change that got spun up because they were able to capture overflow off of Ethereum or actually Ethereum itself? Like, which I think, one's long-term I think sustainable? think piles into Bitcoin and ETH for the, you know, yeah. or yeah, dollars you, or you something. Could, you could damn, be damn sure of that. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> anyway, I th- none of this was about Polygon, I guess, but it's related, right? right? It's right. all kind of related because it's all, you know, the same story. And I think a really important story as we end 2021, uh, and we go into the next year, it's like, a lot of the people coming into the space don't know the difference between Avalanche and Binance Chain and Solana and Ethereum and Layer Twos. Like they just don't, and so they all seem the same to them. And how is this going to shape up in you know 2022, in 2023, in the next uh, bear cycle? How is this all going to shape up? Is a question I think that needs need that everyone, every investor in the space needs to uh, need to think about. And it's like. It goes back to like, you have to decide what you are. Are you a trader? Are you doing the like week to week thing? Are you a narrative investor? Are you, are you into these positions for a few months and the, you know, piling in the popular narrative? It's kind of what Three years Capital is. Uh, or are you a fundamentals player? Do you just buy and hold and like invest with a multi-cycle time horizon? You kind of have to decide, right? right? And you, could, you could split up your portfolio and do a little bit here and a little bit there. But like at some point, that can be difficult too because you sort of blend these worlds together and you you have to make a conscious choice as to which of these three you're going to be.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I don't have too much to add there.
0: Well, anything else with Polygon? Any takeaways
1: from that conversation? I I think the really really important part of the conversation that I really, really liked was talking about the differences between the bridge to Polygon versus the bridge to Avalanche. Uh, And I was on uh, Up Only and and Ledger was talking about how uh, the bridge to Avalanche was just way better it was like it was faster it was cheaper more instantaneous versus the bridge to polygon which would actually cost them some money and it actually took some time and going into this conversation with sandeep and me, uh, uh, mihalo you know why it it costs more money and more time to bridge to polygon sen- versus-
0: it's central it's centralized right it's
1: it's yeah well it's the cost of decentralization yeah and people like and this is what people can't a lot of people can't wrap their heads around is decentralization is costly, yep. but that's also the the values that are why these assets have value in the first place. Bitcoin, Ether, damn, even Dogecoin has a market cap because it's backed by decentralization. And so when you tell me, it's like, oh yeah, going to Avalanche is a breeze versus Polygon. It's like, oh, it actually costs me some money and costs me some time. Money and time is how you get decentralization at the end of the day. Uh, and so People, people are coming from the world of Web2 and especially right now. And they're really like gravitating towards Binance Smart Chain, Solana, and Avalanche because they look and feel like the Web2 platforms that they came from. Like they press the button, the token, the, the transaction gets- uh, For now, gets they do. Right, for now. Uh, the, like the, the transaction fee is like five cents. It happens instantaneously. There's like a connection there between how it feels and what it is. It feels like a Web2 platform because it's centralized- because it is closer to a web two platform than it is a web three platform. And in in the world of Facebook, the user is the customer. In the world of Solana and Avalanche, the users are the, uh, excuse me, the users are the product. And then in Facebook and Solana and Avalanche and all these centralized chains, they are doing, they are making reduced costs. They are subsidizing the costs of using the system so that you will use it because you are the product, not the customer. The customer is things like three hours capital or multi-coin or like David Sachs on on the All In podcast. Like those are the actual customers. And this is about the, the actual ethos behind the system where Ethereum Decentralized, both in token issuance and blockchain from day one, Solana and in Avalanche were optimized for VC investment on day one. That's what they were optimized for.
0: Yeah, and I don't like it's. It's totally fine. I I, I hope um, people who use Avalanche and other side chains, which like I I use these side chains too, um, like. Don't hear the message that you shouldn't be using these sidechains. Like yes. go use them. Yes. Dude, like go use them. Go use Matic. Go use Avalanche. Go they use are Solana. Perfect go training vehicles. Yeah. Well, they just go use whatever you feel like using, right? Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. when gas fees are high and I want to send transactions, I'm using like Coinbase sometimes too, right? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't call Coinbase a layer one. Right. Right. Because I right. know this, like wh- where I have an issue is people who know better, who genuinely know better builders and investors in the space who um, tell users there are cheap fees over here and don't acknowledge decentralization trade-offs that were made, right? Mm -hmm. And they embrace the decentralization theater in order to pump their backs. I think that is bad for the space long run. And that's the beef I have. That's the beef that the Ethereum community has. The beef is not with any of the users. No, it's not with the users. Go use whatever... You feel like using user and don't feel guilted by like i'm not paying five dollars in gas fees and i'm not right. supporting like just use whatever but make sure you understand the trade-offs that right. you're making right it's like we all use tons of centralized platforms in in our day-to-day lives mm-hmm. uh sorry, and but but we know what these things are what, what kills me is like the the theater of the right. thing uh and that's uh I, an important takeaway but the last thing i'll say in polygon here though is um pretty smart I think to take an approach where you're like yeah we'll do some of the sidechain stuff mm-hmm. we'll do some of the proof of stake stuff and then we'll also do the roll-up stuff so like we'll do it all mm-hmm. so we can capture a community right and then port them to something more decentralized over time mm-hmm. I, um, I'm really glad that they're in the ethereum ecosystem because they're taking a very practical approach to this thing mm-hmm. right and like purists I've heard purists decentralization ethereum purists, hate on Polygon's proof of stake chain Mm -hmm. because it's not a roll up, because it's not maximally decentralized. Mm -hmm. But the brilliant thing about this is like, they built a community first and now they actually are fulfilling their social contract of moving towards more decentralized technology. And I think it's a great play for, uh, for the ecosystem.
1: Yeah. With regards to like onboarding users, I actually think it's actually a really appropriate spot for users to come and learn what is crypto, right? Like, right. I don't know like who private keys, scary. Like my net worth also scary. I don't really want to be playing around with that. So like, Avalanche, Binance Smart Chain, Solana, all these low-fee environments that also have low settlement assurances because they have low decentralization, it's like the tutorial island for crypto. Like, you can go learn stuff and make mistakes there because the mistakes simply just matter less because they have less settlement assurances. You have less property rights because these systems are less decentralized. Uh, and so you can go and like experiment and like do crazier stuff. mean like te- they're just test nets, right? And so this the, because these things have sacrificed decentralization, they are like blockchains with training wheels, right? Like they are the perfect training environment for you to actually use the real thing. And the real thing is the thing that is maximally decentralized, that costs the most to use. Uh, and then, but also with the layer twos, like you get the best of both worlds. But you also have the property right assurances wh- where your mistakes are actually final. Right, uh, when, and that is the world of fully permissionless, fully decentralized, open blockchains. And there's the critique of, like, oh, like Solana and, and Avalanche, and these things. These things, just like Polygon, can uh, make themselves decentralized in the long term. And that's where I call BS because the first impressions of how these chains uh, got bootstrapped defines the culture from then on out. Where Polygon has always been committed to being fully decentralized in the long term and have acted on that. The other, the Ethereum competitors say that's their strategy, but actually have no viable roadmap to actually getting there. And if they actually do pivot and change their roadmap to actually trying to become decentralized, then they just start looking like Ethereum, where Ethereum was, you know, at the genesis of its network. And so this whole like, oh, we'll just do decentralization later, is you can't, then you're going to have the same problems that Ethereum has today, but you're going to have them later. And so you're just going to rug pull all of the, like, development that's been deployed on your chain because, like, all the the reason why there's development on your chain is because Ethereum is really, really expensive. So you're just saying, like, oh, yeah, we'll come build on our chain now. We're just going to be expensive later. It's the biggest trap. And this is why so many Ethereum people get really, really upset and, like, pissed off on, on Twitter is because, like, We don't care if people go and use their chain. We care that people are using their chain based off of the false narratives in the decentralization theater that these narrative spinners are telling about the chain, which are fundamentally not true. It's the lies that people care about, not the fact that people are using different chains. Yeah, I, you know, and
0: also dispute the values of some of these tokens, to be honest. And this is just from an investment thesis perspective, right? It's like, but I, I guess maybe the last thing we'll say on this is I think the reason you and I just a long debrief about this and mm-hmm. we talked about it so much is because we both believe that um we are at this place in history it's really important that we get this right mm-hmm. it's like this is the foundation for like the future property rights money system of the world of humanity mm-hmm. humanity the metaverse big convergence like we're moving digital we got to get the property rights layer right mm-hmm. right it's like it's like imagine the the debates uh, over the construction of the constitution, right? It's right. like, you know, somebody was like, ah, you know, we'll take some shortcuts and Hey, what's wrong with having a King around here? Like, right. you know, tyranny is not so bad. We can make yeah, decisions faster. Yeah. And it's efficient. Tax people. It's very efficient, right? One of it's one like, nodes. Yeah. And, and, and other people were just like, no, like self-sovereignty is important. Balance of power is important. It's going to be messier. It's going to be more difficult. It's going to take more time, but it's worth it. Right. That's why we're fighting these fights, it's some of the tribalism actually matters because it's like values tribalism mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy to have values tribalism right. types of conversations and and discussions right mm-hmm. but like we're talking about this because we feel a tremendous amount of responsibility because we're all early here and if you're listening to bankless you're early too too, to shape the future of humanity right mm-hmm. and it's like some people don't feel that responsibility okay mm-hmm. Some people, I mean, I've heard you use the term nihilist to describe some people in the crypto space. It's just, it's all memes all the way down. The old system mm-hmm. is broken. Now we have new memes. So let's just meme hop to, you know, hop to meme and narrative to narrative and whatever. We'll make lots of money and the world's going to burn anyway. And who cares, right? It's like, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. Okay, no. That's not, that's not why, why the I'm The real world matters. Here. The real world matters, right? We have a response. We're here early. So we have a responsibility to make mm-hmm. this system good just dis- make it keep it decentralized and build it on strong strong foundations and if people out there don't feel that responsibility that's fine okay but like I'm happy for them to <laughs> don't acknowledge get in that our way here for the money don't get it in our way right because right. like we're building this system on uh, on foundations and values that that we believe in and like you're not gonna screw this up right. okay it's like go make a lot of money and mm-hmm. you can go do that but you can't while you're making tons of money, pretend like you're here for the same values that the builders mm-hmm. you know in the and the, and the people who care a lot about decentralization are here for. You don't get to do both. Right. That's why it pisses me off. Right. I think that's why we're having this whole discussion.
1: Yeah, so so there's there's th- three groups of people that I see. There's the people that understand that the choices we make now in this in this 10 to 20 year gap will impact many many generations for hundreds of years to come. Billions of people. Billions of people. And so it's really important that the choices we make now are the right choices. Because as we know, like little did I know when I signed up for Facebook in high school, that Facebook would be causing civil wars in Africa like a decade (laughs) later. Like these are part of the cypherpunk manifesto is that cypherpunks understand that the code they write impacts the people that use it. So there's there's that cohort of people. Then there's like the nihilist memers, right? Like, oh, like, oh, Dogecoin, Shipcoin, like fun trading, NFTs, blah, 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 blah. Those people are having a ton of fun. Then there's the people who l- want to, to act like they're the first group of people that want to like, influence the downstream uh, impacts of, of culture. Yep. But they are actually just pumping their bags, right? They're using the legitimacy of the first group to prop up the value of their bags because they're actually in the nihilist camp. And those are the people that I have a problem with, and so that that goes to show, it's like it, exactly what we're talking about. It's not the users of Avalanche; it's the people supporting this and promoting this as like the long term solution for crypto. It's like no, it's a short term like I can get rich like scheme.
0: D- David, did you ever read that um, that article that kind of delineates exactly what you're talking about—the three groups—and uh, it delineates as as any subculture, you know, uh, new movement subculture. Uh, there's the geeks, people who are in early, kind of the hipsters, you know, the geeks like here for the values, here, here for the, you know, the real reasons, I guess. And then there's the mops mm-hmm. is, is what this essay called them. This is kind of mainstream piling in. It's like, mm. oh, the geeks are doing this cool thing. so mainstream, but not necessarily yep. here for the values. And then the third category is, is the psychopaths who come into the, uh, into the subculture and start to like extract. Right. So generally they're better at business they're better yeah. at making money better they're better cra- at more charisma yeah more charisma they they actually look a lot like the original geeks right, right. but they're better they look right. even to the mops they look even better right. than uh, the original geeks they even look even more legitimate uh-huh. and and so um like there in every subculture the essay posits there's like this this battle between these three groups and actually it's interesting the solution um, at the end of this essay is basically um, the geeks need to wisen up Mm. They need to be, grow a spine, slightly evil. They Mm. need to understand the games the psychopaths are playing, Mm -hmm. and like adopt them just enough not to be corrupted by them. Right. But actually, like I guess grow a spine might be the TLDR version of that. Um. So it's interesting that this continues to repeat, and I see that exact thing as you're saying playing out in crypto. It's just like there are. There's mainstream, there's the decentralization cypherpunks, and then there's the people who want to take advantage of these things who are ultimately, I feel like rent extractors because they're not yep. here for the same reason the geeks are here for. Mm-hmm. And if it just becomes psychopaths, what always happens is um, the movement falls in on itself and it dies. Yep. It just dies. There's nothing left. The, ge- the geeks move on. It's, they not, ruined it. it's not funny anymore. They've ruined it. It's gone. Like We're, we're not here anymore. We're leaving. We're going to go do a new movement. So that's going to play out, I guess, in crypto. Yep. We'll have to see where it, where it goes.
1: Yep. And so I feel like that is the call to action that I want to end on. We are here in this moment of history, of human history. There are many pivotal moments in human history, and this is one of them. And this could be a very big one because the last time we invented a new financial system, it was literally in the 14, 1500s. It was a long time ago. So we don't get these opportunities very often to change the way that finance works. It's going and to so- happen fast. Are you an opt- uh, opera, uh, optimist in that you see that this technology can create a better future, and then you know that that's true, and then you, as a result of that knowledge, choose to bear the responsibility of stewarding it in the direction that is good for your kids, and your kids' kids, and your kids' kids' kids. If, is that you? Or are you a nihilist, and you are here just to trade and make some money and, and get a nice house and then and then call it a life? Which one of these two things are you? Both of them are good. Uh I, in my mind, one is much better than the other and more long-term sustainable. But so long as you are also are not getting in the way of the people that are trying to steward this thing into the direction that it needs to go to work for everyone into the future and not just the people that are the privileged elite of today.
0: Optimist, nihilist, don't be a psychopath.
1: Don't be That's a psychopath. We'll with. <laughs>
0: don't be a psychopath, yeah. Guys, this has been The Debrief. Thanks for hanging with us.